the book of Isaiah, and we've been studying the comfort section of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 begins with the words to comfort, uh, comfort my people, God says to Isaiah. So we've been looking at the various reasons for comfort that we have. Last week, we looked at comfort for the weary and tired. Book of Isaiah says, Has thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to those that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. So we saw that God has comfort for those that are weary and tired. He is able to impart his strength, his enablement. Tonight, we look at Isaiah chapter 41 and focus on comfort in the midst of troubling circumstances. The world in which we live is a difficult, hard place. In the book of John, we've noted that Jesus said that in the world, you're going to have trouble. So we're going to experience hardship, difficulty in our life's experience. Sometimes that hardship or difficulty is due to our own sin, our rebelliousness, our lack of wisdom, our failure to trust God as we should, and we find ourselves in hard and difficult situations because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So there are consequences to sinful choices. But in addition to that, there are hardships that come into our life uh, with no direct fault on our part. Many times we get ill, not as a form of punishment, but uh, simply because of the fallen world in which we, we live. We get diseases. Uh, we are persecuted. We are sometimes abused, taken advantage of. There are a host of circumstances in which we face trouble and hardship. The theme tonight is that there is comfort in the midst of hardship and difficulty. That comfort comes in the good reason that we have to trust in God. Isaiah 41.10, the NAS states, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10, in the King James states, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yea, I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Tonight we're just going to dissect Isaiah 41.10, looking at the good reasons that we have to place trust and confidence in God in the midst of trouble and adversity. The first good reason we have to trust in God in the midst of hardship and difficulty is because God is on our side. Do not fear, for I am with you. The most comforting words that we read in the Word of God is that God is with us. God is with us. The words to Moses, when Moses was at the burning bush, and wondering why 
he should go into Egypt to deal with Pharaoh. And ultimately, the reason is not because of your great valor, Moses, not because of your strength, your wisdom, or even the fact you grew up in Pharaoh's household. But the ultimate reason is because I'm going to be with you. The words of comfort that Jesus gave to the apostles when he sent them out after his resurrection, as they are commissioned in the Great Commission, he said that they are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And the comforting words is, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. In the book of Hebrews, it is, Fear not, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. So there is great comfort in knowing in whatever circumstance we find ourselves that God is with us. He is present. And not only is he present, but he's on our side. So our text says, do not fear. Do not fear. Notice to whom God is speaking. Well, let me back up and on bottom page one, what fear is. Do not fear. The word translated as fear is that of an apprehension of danger that results from awareness of our own weakness, an awareness of danger from which we cannot protect ourselves. And there are a whole host of situations that we have no control over, no power over. And it's easy to be fearful. But we're not to be fearful because God is on our side. And notice to whom God is speaking. Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. So God is speaking to his servants. God is speaking to his chosen ones. Jacob, whom I have chosen. God is speaking to the spiritual descendants of his friend. Descendant of Abraham, my friend. Even in our sinfulness, God has not rejected us. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts. And I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. You see, Isaiah 41 is a passage that anticipates the return of Israel from exile. The reason they go into exile is because they had forsaken the worship of God. But God promises to bring them back. God promises to restore them. And so, Isaiah 40 is comfort for Israel in the time of their restoration. It's wonderful to know, even when we have been unfaithful to God, God is still faithful to us. Even when we find ourselves in circumstances because of our own sinfulness, we can turn to God And know that he is willing to help us. He is willing to come to our aid. God is willing to forgive, no longer punish, and actually come to our assistance. So, number one, we are not to fear life's dangers, whatever they may be, for we do not face them alone. God is with us. Second, good reason to trust in God in the midst of hardship and difficulty, is because God is the living and true God. He's the living and true God. For I am your God. There is no reason to panic and looking for help. 
Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. That is corresponding to the words in the King James, Do not be dismayed. When trial or difficulty comes, it encourages us not to frantically look about. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What help can I have? We're not to be panic-stricken, looking for some kind of way out, but we're to understand that God is there to help us, that he is our God. For note where the non-Christian looks for help. The non-Christian looks to his neighbor to help him in his fears. Isaiah 41, 6. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. King James, they helped each, everyone his neighbor. Everyone said to his brother, be of good courage. The world encourages us, us to deny our weakness as though it does not exist, as though we can overcome anything through positive thinking. They say together, we can overcome any danger, any perceived threat. God encourages us to acknowledge our weakness. Look at Isaiah 41, 14. A very unpolitically correct verse. Do not fear, you worm Jacob. Now think about that. This is a verse that's intended to be an encouragement. So how does God encourage the people of Israel? By calling them a worm. You worm. You slug. You nothing. Don't be afraid. Because we are not to trust in ourselves. We are not to look to our own strength. We're not to look to our own wisdom. We are not to look to our neighbor, our friend. We're to look to God. So the encouragement is, recognize your weakness. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't pretend that the danger isn't real. Don't pretend that you can overcome it, but rather recognize, embrace, accept your weakness, and look to God for his help and deliverance. Thirdly, the non-believing world wants to trust in themselves and each other. The final response to 9-11 is a desire to make our nation safe. So we've established a Bureau of Homeland Security. But we're fooling ourselves if we believe that our nation is secure and free from terrorist attack. We are even more deluded to think that our government can ever make us secure and free from terrorist attack. You see, that's the way in which our nation is trying to deal with fear. By trying to instill confidence in us that our governmental leaders will watch over us. Our governmental leaders will protect us. Our army is there to make sure that nothing ever happens to us. Our government can't protect us. Our armies can't protect us. We are so vulnerable to any kind of terrorist attack. I mean, some kind of contagion being put in the water supply. There are so many things that could easily sneak over the border. 
that ultimately we should place our trust and faith not in our government, but in our God. In our God. Can you remember back to the day of 9-11? Maybe you can picture those airplanes hitting the, the Twin Towers. Remember that day? Do you remember what our government leaders encouraged us to do? Pray. Pray. Do you remember that? Ask the churches to be opened. Ask that people would go to whatever it was that they worship, whatever it be, synagogue or church. But our government said, pray. Do you remember what happened on the day of the Columbine shootings? And people were encouraged to pray. And they actually brought religious leaders on the campus of Columbine to speak to students and to pray. But you see, all of that was very short-lived. Nobody today in our government is now saying, you need to continue to pray for our safety. We've moved beyond that. We've moved into providing for ourselves our own safety. Well... We shouldn't expect anything different from our government leaders, but we should expect things different for ourselves. And so in the midst of hardship and difficulty, may we not seek to protect ourselves. May we seek not to rely in ourselves or in the strength of others, but may we trust in our God. Number two, the non-Christian looks to man-made religion to help him in his fears. So the craftsman encourages the smelter. And he who smooths metal with a hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And he fastens it with nails that it should not totter. Non-Christians to try to encourage each other through religious beliefs and practices which are of no value. I love the imagery of this. Fashion this God. Make this God, and then be sure to nail him to the floor so that he doesn't fall over. You better secure this God so that nothing happens. You better make sure that in case somebody bumps into this God, it's not going to fall flat on its face. In case there is some kind of tremor that... It's not going to rock and shake and this God is going to fall flat on its face. You better protect your God. Which is obviously a God that can't protect you. If a God can't protect himself, how is he ever going to protect you? Notice the psalmist in Psalm 115. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. He is not like these idols who can't hear or see or smell or walk or do anything. He is the living and true God. And thus, 
is worthy of being trusted. God calls upon the nations to recognize his authority. Isaiah 41.1 Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. The word island is to be viewed in a metaphorical sense. Here the nations view themselves as islands, that is, safe and protected entities that cannot be reached by God's hand. You probably heard the old adage, no man is an island. Here the nations view themselves as islands. They view themselves as off in the the midst of a great sea. And so they are protected. You can't reach them by land. They are protected. But they are not islands at all. You see, they cannot protect themselves, is the metaphor. The nations are called to shut up and listen to God. They are to quit their boasting and futile talk. Coastlands, listen to me in silence. Keep silence before me. God calls upon the nations to share in the blessedness of Israel. And let the peoples gain new strength. Here they have the opportunity to have a changed relationship with God in which they are free to call upon him. So here the nations are encouraged to put their trust and faith in God as well. D, we look to the living and true God to help us in our fears. A song of degrees, I will lift up my eyes into the hills, from whence cometh my help, my help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. So the application, don't trust in yourself. Don't rely upon safety in numbers. Don't rely upon a man-made religion. But turn to the living and true God. Trust him in the midst of hardship and difficulties. Third, we have good reason to trust in God in the midst of hardships and difficulties because God will indeed help us. Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And now these words. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So we're emphasizing this aspect of surely. Surely. You can count on it. God will help us. It's one thing to know that God is powerful enough to help us. It's another to know that not only is he powerful, but he's present. But thirdly, not only is he powerful, not only is he present... But he's willing to. He's willing to. He has promised to help us. The word that is used for strengthen here is to bind up or reinforce. It's like putting the cast on a broken arm in order to strengthen it. That is the form that God's help will take. He will bind us up in our brokenness and our weakness. He will come alongside. God enables us to bear what we cannot bear on our own. God enables us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. He comes alongside. He's like that that cast on the broken arm. Secondly, what does God's help look like? God will bring us aid and comfort in the midst of distress. 
Isaiah 41, 17. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, springs in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. God will provide help where there is no help. But not only that, the picture is that not only will God meet our need, but he will abundantly meet our need. Are you thirsty? I'll give you a cup of water. Are you thirsty? I'll wet a sponge for you so you can dip it on your dry and parched tongue. No. Are you thirsty? I'll open the fountains for you. I will open the rivers for you. I will make springs in the midst of valleys. I will give you more water than you could ever drink. I will give you more water than you could ever use. Not only am I going to quench your thirst, but you're not going to be thirsty ever, is the thought of this extended analogy. God not only helps, but he helps abundantly. Next, what form will God's help take? God will cause us to stand when our feet are about to go out from under us in the time of hardship and difficulty. Look at the end of Isaiah 41.10. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's the picture. Our feet are about to go out from under us. Uh, I uh, remember not just uh, too long ago, we had a skating activity at the arena. Many of you are there for ice skating. I don't skate. I like to watch. And one of the things I get a kick out of is watching parents with very little children. And here are these children, four years old, five years old, six years old, and they can't skate. But they have skates on their feet, you know, and they're kind of shuffling along. And mom or dad is holding their hand. And pretty soon, they're shuffling along, and all of a sudden, they lose their balance, and their feet go out from under them, and they just go splat. No, they don't. Their feet go out from under them, and mom and dad pick up that hand, and now they're dangling in the air. That's what happens. They're dangling in the air, and then they bring them safely down to stand again. That's the imagery of God holding us by his right hand. The thought is, when we stumble, we don't go splat, but rather our feet are dangling in the air because he is our helper. He is our protector. He is beside us and holds us with his right hand. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of the fact that he holds us. We don't hold him. You know, if that four-year-old that can't even get their hand around their dad's hand and has to hold their little finger, if it's up to that four-year-old to hold on tight, they're going to fall. But 
the powerful hand of the parent isn't going to let that child fall. We're trusting not in our ability to hold on to God. We're trusting in God's ability to hold on to us. And that's the great encouragement. That God will hold on to us. No matter what. And the New Testament analogy is no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. Not the evil one, not Satan. Nothing is able to do that. And so God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A righteous right hand, meaning that God doesn't lie. So let's look at the handout as we move on. That's number D, letter D. No, it's not. It's Roman number four. We have good reason to trust in God in the midst of our hardships and difficulties because God does not go back on his word. We can indeed trust him. We can trust him. A, God will not go back on his word to help us, for God is the Almighty One. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. This is God's word. This is God's promise. We are weak and fallible. God is the self-existent one. God will not go back in his word to help us, for God's help is abundant. God's help is abundant. Do not fear, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So God reveals himself in this verse in two ways. First, as God the all-powerful one. And secondly, as the Redeemer. The Redeemer. So God, at one and the same time, is powerful, forgiving, merciful, and helpful. The Redeemer is the one who's rescued us from our sin. That Redeemer that one who has delivered us from our sin is going to help us in any of life's circumstances. Because being his children, our sins have been dealt with and he stands ready to help us. And there is a thought there of abundance. For the book of Romans says, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with us freely give us all things? If he was willing to meet our spiritual need by giving his son, by sacrificing that which is most precious to God, if God didn't withhold his son from us in the time of the need of our salvation, surely God is not going to hold from us the good that we need in the time of adversity. God will not go back on his word, for God will not lie. End of verse 41. The Holy One of Israel. That's who declared it. The Holy One, the Righteous One, the One who cannot sin, the One who cannot lie. God has said it. It's true. There is abundant reason for us to trust in the Lord in the midst of hardship 
and difficulty. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you're experiencing. Maybe it's something pretty severe. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. And perhaps you are at wit's end. And you're wondering, what in the world can I do? I would encourage you, look to God. Look to God. Ask Him for His help. Ask Him for His strength. Ask Him to enable you to do what you cannot do on your own. Trust Him. For we have a living and true God. We have a God that's on our side. We have a God that is reliable. We have a God that is all-powerful. We have a God that is merciful. We have a God that is gracious. We have a God that has promised to help us. And he does not lie. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. I don't know what your people are going through tonight. We don't speak these things cavalierly. We don't minimize people's heartache and misery. We don't, in any sense, minimize the difficult situations that people find themselves in, where they're truly at wit's end. But Lord, instead we come before you and say, oh God, we are worms. We're not up to the task. We're not capable for the fight. Lord, if it's up to us, we will become weary. We will become discouraged. We will fail. We will panic. Oh Lord, Come alongside. Strengthen us. Bind us up. Take us by that right hand. Keep us from falling. Lord, watch over us. You have promised to do all these things. May we go away with the assurance tonight that you will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.